This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families. And welcome to this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. And this is a new endeavor from Child Welfare Information Gateway, which is the nationwide information service of the Children's Bureau under the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. You can access Information Gateway at childwelfare.gov. And we've launched this podcast to provide the nation's child welfare professionals, those who interact with child welfare and those concerned with child welfare, with insights and perspective on the new innovations, the emerging trends, evidence-based practices, and frankly, what's worth sharing to help you enhance the work you're doing to serve children, youth, and families. My name is Tom Oates, and I, along with a host of talented others, uh, work for Information Gateway to connect you to the vetted, peer-reviewed, relevant information, resources, data, and more surrounding all aspects of the child welfare field. And we hope these podcasts provide you a quick and easy way to learn a little bit more. We know how busy you are and how important your job is. So we're really excited about today's show because we want to make sure that you're getting insight and lessons that can help immediately in the work you do in, in supporting staff and coworkers or the families and children that you're working with every day. So today, it's getting the perspective from youth in foster care. So we talked with Sixto Cancel, and besides having a name worthy of being a superhero or a private detective, Sixto is a foster care alumnus who serves as a youth consultant to the Children's Bureau's Child Welfare Capacity Building Center for States. Now, besides that, he's developed youth engagement programs for foster youth. He served on numerous foster care and adoption advisory boards. He coaches college students on advocacy efforts within the foster care system. Plus, he's the founder of Think of Us, a group supporting foster youth and making their own decisions around their life, work, education, and health. We got into a great discussion about how professionals can safely and effectively use social media, specifically Facebook, as a support tool for the youth they serve, uh, how they can meet them at their level to spark more engagement and buy-in with their cases, and also how to help youth establish relationships with supportive adults. Sixto really speaks from the heart, uh, but also with great clarity and a passion to see foster youth and foster alumni find and build the foundation that they need for the rest of their lives. And it's great tools for those professionals who work and support the foster care youth. So with that, no more delays. Here's the conversation with Sixto Cancel. Sixto Cancel, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me here, Tom. I appreciate you taking the time here. It's another challenge for the social workers, especially when they've got a ton of caseloads. And, and frankly, when you're dealing with youth who, who frankly start to build their own independence and start to think of their lives as something that they finally got a little bit of control of, getting that engagement can be a challenge. So where is it that we're seeing success? Because we always talk about the difficulties. Where are we seeing success in getting that buy-in, that, that partnership to, to build skills when we're seeing that partnership between professionals and, and youth in foster care? 
You know, I, I definitely think of Bridgeport, Connecticut. In Bridgeport, Connecticut, you have the Department of Children and Families um, using Facebook in a very safe, structured way to engage with young people, not only to be Facebook friends with young people as from the social worker to the young person, but to also relay very important information of when is the next asset training, um, delivering content around being prepared for your case plan meetings and so on. So I've seen that type of engagement and I'm in awe that one, that young people wanted to connect with their social workers and that they wanted to stay, um, even if they that social worker was no longer their primary worker, right? Um, and that too, that they were connecting with each other on Facebook. Young people were connecting with each other on Facebook and providing support to each other via Facebook. And so they've really been able to reach us where we're at. So an example is, you know, there was a, there was a couple of weeks where, you know, I, I, I was in college and I, I, my sister worker was trying to get a hold of me but she was able to still see that there were great things happening and how involved I was. And then she was also able to see things like, hey, listen, I've seen that you haven't posted in a while. And that's not what she would say, but I realized that when I haven't posted in a while, that she would check in via phone, that she would try to see what's going on. So it really was a tool that allowed um, my social worker also to consider different opportunities for me. So she started to really understand what were some of the things I liked that maybe didn't come up in our monthly one-to-one -one meeting. And she could bring those things out of me. Uh, she can see those things because she was also a Facebook friend. So you're not really talking about, you know, communicating via social media, but at least getting kind of a, a check-in or a monitoring tool because it, hey, we're all, we all at times can be different people to different groups that we're around. So who you may be in that one-on-one -on -one meeting may be different than who you are with your friends or who you are at work. But you're saying that the social worker can kind of get a, a glance at all those different aspects and maybe get a clearer picture. Absolutely. So here, here's, you know, I wouldn't consider it a monitoring tool or, or a tool to like check in, but what Facebook is meant, it's meant to connect people and it's meant to authentically bring, create a space for every individual to be able to express their ideas, to be able to express um, some of the things that they want to. And so being friends, not only with my social worker, but several social workers in the office um, allowed uh, 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 to allowed us to build this online space, this online community between not only me and the social worker, but me and some of the other young people who are in care. And that allowed us to, you know, participate in youth boards, participate in financial literacy asset trainings, um, actually build an identity in a community around the foster care system. Too many times, you know, we stigmatize the foster care system as something that is um, negative and, and, and there's a lot of problems and a lot of improvements to be made. But I think it's a beautiful thing when a group of people who've had some similar adversities come together and are able to identify as, uh, as almost this one culture that's part of the many, many things that are part of them. So how important is that when you're dealing with with youth or even even for the social workers to deal with each other to have that opportunity because I guess you know the forum to share and the forum to feel a part of community is is, is a challenge for for really all involved and are, are, are you seeing that talk to me about how they can foster that and, and excuse the pun but talk to me about how you could get a get a young person involved to let them know that you know this this is actually a safe place to do something like that you know, I, I think it organically happens, right? So when you're dealing with a tool like Facebook or Instagram, these are tools that are meant to connect people and to share ideas. And so um, as long as you provide the invite for that to happen, then you're, 
essentially providing the space for it to happen. I think the other thing is that, you know, when you come into foster care, um, you know, you've experienced some type of trauma and in, in, in there's trauma and just being removed and being placed somewhere else. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's things that are lost in that process. Your voice and your choice are lost. The um, being informed of what's going on are lost. And so when you get to get with another group of people who all have that similar experience and all are saying, well, this is how you navigate it. This is what I'm doing to, 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 to get through this. This is what's working for me. It creates this sense of what is possible. And I think sometimes, you know, we, we, we focus so much on what are the services that are needed? Oh, you need X because you're doing X. X needs to happen because, you know, something has happened at home. And it, sometimes we can, you know, feel very deficit. There's a lot of deficit that we can experience. And so to have a community and to have this space where you can connect to other young people, you can connect to your workers, you can connect to other people in general, it starts to normalize um, the experience of being an adolescent, being someone who is connected. When you advise folks, like in this example in Bridgeport, Connecticut, when you advise folks about, you know, how to use something like Facebook, there's going to be a lot of regulations that that a, a social worker or, a, or an agency, a county or state, may have on somebody. So how do you navigate? You know, what are what are the do's and don'ts when it comes to dealing with things like like privacy or or like you know dealing with um, really what it is 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 is, is sharing and where is those kind of legal eggshells that you need to walk around on? So when it comes down to privacy, I think you know we always sometimes we may use privacy as a barrier. Um, to cover ourselves, you know, when there, it just may take a little bit of extra work to figure out how do you do this in a safe way. So let's take Facebook, for example. So the social worker should be creating a unique, private, unsearchable profile that they can add other young people who are on their caseload to. It should be the young person's decision whether they want to accept or deny the social worker. Secondly, um, there are privacy features on Facebook that allow you um, to to protect yourself and to protect the young people that you are connected to on Facebook. Some of the examples are, one, not allowing your own profile to be searched. Two, another example is not demonstrating who are your friends, because if you're adding all of your young people on your caseload, you may not want the other young people to see who else is on your caseload or who else is connected to you. So you could actually click the option to not show who your friends are. This allows you to really be able to, as a social worker, be able to have a page that protects everyone's privacy. But I think the main point, Tom, is that um, there is a way to do it. Counties are doing it, systems are doing it, but we cannot, it takes a little bit of work and we cannot hide behind the excuse of privacy or legal issues, even though it is a real concern. We have to just do a little bit more due diligence and work to figure out how can it be done. So with that, and and obviously we're creating the format, and I I like what you mentioned earlier before about meeting the youth where they are, uh, because at that point, we get to a point where we are independent and we are self-thinking and and so uh, if things are not given that kind of why do i care sense you know or you know fit me where my answer so you understand me a little bit more and you bring up that we had some earlier conversations about you know that partnership between professionals and youth when they do meet together 
how the professionals, those social workers can, can kind of help build those behaviors and skills you know, where a lot of times those young people may have not had that opportunity. So if we got something from social media, man, and you, and you start to get that meeting folks where they are, it gives, it sounds like to me, you're getting those tools that a professional would need to maybe engage those young people a little bit better. So when they're in the one-on-one -on -one setting, we're in the face-to-face -face setting, a lot of times we're focused on the day-to-day. -day. But when it comes to learning a little bit more about really engaging and preparing that young person for the future as they transition to adulthood, where's the opportunity for the social worker to help that young person build those long-term, you know, life-sustaining behavioral skills that they'll need to cope with when they get, you know, beyond school, when they get beyond their teen years? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the beauties of social media is that it provides an insight to what are what is what are the decisions that we're making every single day. So from the decision of posting something to the decision of what we get involved in and 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 how that shows up on our social media. And so when I think of a social worker, um, I think that, you know, if you think about all the stuff that young people will post, you probably will have a heart attack um, because there are certain things you're like, why in the world would you post that? Um, why would you do that? Right. Did you forget that I was on your Facebook page? Um, but it's such a great opportunity to have different learning moments throughout um, the course of that young person being on your caseload. I, I think to myself of one young person who, um, you know, just used a lot of profanity and and went back and forth but yet this person was very interested in politics right so this was uh, we were able to have a conversation after and talk a little bit about you know being a leader and being involved in politics required that you know you were very careful what what you said in public spaces and i don't think we would have ever been able to have that conversation if we didn't have concrete examples to go back to and say well listen um, you know, I've seen some some things that alerted me, but I think the power of that was the fact that it came from a peer. So even though the social worker, um, you know, at the meeting was like, hey, we should all be careful about what we post on social media. The social worker didn't go up to any of the young people and say that they allow each other. They for, they form the space for us to talk to each other about what's appropriate. Right. Um, and, and what are some of those consequences and those effects? And I think the one thing that happens to young people when they're in the system, because there's a lot of restrictions. We don't get those same developmental opportunities that other teenagers um, have without the restrictions that we have. Therefore, there's less opportunities to practice with money. There's less opportunities to practice decision making with being on, on the Internet. There's less opportunity to practice decision making, period. And that's the one skill that we really do need to be practicing over and over and over, because when we are on our own, whether that's 18, 21 or 23 or so on, that the fact is that we need to have really good decision making skills skills because we don't have that safety net that other young people do have. So there's the opportunity and and I'm going to kind of like uh, uh, foreshadow a little bit from a conversation we had earlier about the term supportive adults and helping the young person find those around them that can help them exactly with those skills that you talked about that are so vital moving forward and having you know a positive adult relationship that's not always going to be based on their care or someone you know going through foster care but actually having that along the way because again the social worker can't do it all yet the young person needs to understand where they can go get those skills and where they can rely so we talked about, you talked about supportive adults. I'm going to ask you two things. One, explain what a supportive adult is. And two, how the social worker can help the young person both identify and kind of 
grow that relationship with a supportive adult? So I came up with this term, youth identified supportive adult, WISA, right? Y-I-S-N. And the reason why I came up with this, because I realized when I look back at my childhood, right? So I entered care at 11 months. Um, then at the age of six, I was placed back with my biological mother. Then at the age of seven, re-entered foster care until I was adopted at the age of nine um, by a really racist and abusive situation. And then um, found myself couch surfing between 13 to 15 re-entered foster care, turned around, went to three different homes, and then finally went to college and been living on my own since. But when I look at who were the youth identified, like who were the adults that I considered supportive, there were about 15 different adults who took active roles from the, from sixth grade all the way till I went to college, right? And out of those six, out of those 15, excuse me, um, there were six adults who were viable placements for me, but they were never identified because they were in my personal network. So I think that the system misses an opportunity to actually place us with the adults that we're already connected to, that we're all building relationships to, right? That we don't look deep, deeply enough to see who's supporting this young person already. And it's almost the concept of family finding with supportive adult finding, right? Um, who are the adults who are in this young person's life? So to me, I think that, you know, work when they are present to a young person when they are meeting that young person's need but they're doing extraordinary work when a, when they can connect with the adults that the young person admires that the young person honors that the young person listens to that the young person wants to be connected to and that those adults are fit and healthy and willing to be in that child's life then when they support that supportive adult in supporting the young person and creating that and, and creating tools and providing resources to make that bond stronger, then what you're doing is you're setting a network for that child to be embedded in, for that young person to be embedded in beyond just the system and services time of that young person's life. So with that, once you can kind of look around and see who's there, what can a young person do? Because you could easily be apprehensive. To, to think, does somebody really want to be a part of my life or not? Or they're just a coach or it's just a teacher. You know, they got their own lives. So how do how can then that social worker encourage or give that young person the tools to kind of grow into that relationship or to see if that relationship could turn into a real supportive adult or a WISA, as you mentioned? Absolutely. So I, I think about it this way. If you ask a young person, identify the supportive adults in your life, identify people who you can live with or identify who cares about you, you're immediately going to get that blank face and like, like or if you were asking me that, I'd have been like, what the hell are you talking about, right? Um, but when you ask a young person, hey, can you list off the top three or to five adults who can help you review your resume? Can you list off two people who will give you a ride? Can you can you list off three people who will go buy this T-shirt for you right now? Right. That that is that's such a tangible thing that you're going to get names and that's where you start to work. OK, so this young person identified these people. Um, let's let's figure out how we can we can reach out to these folks, these adults to be more included in the young person's life. And it's a ladder of engagement. It's not like today we're going to, you know, engage this young person, supportive adult. And then tomorrow we're moving that young person in there. This is this, just like any other relationship. There are these humps, there are these ups, there are these downs. And how you foster that relationship is critical. I'm going to give you the opportunity here uh, to go back to those years when you were in care and think to the social workers and if there's the one thing that they would want to know or should know from the youth perspective 
about dealing with the youth, engaging with them, what they may not assume that they should assume. You know, if you could go back from that former self and tell those social workers something that would probably help them with the relationship and engaging with you, what would it be? You know, I, I would, it, would, it would definitely be that, you know, their sense of urgency is different from my sense of urgency. And so the reality that, you know, I, I lived in and that I was placed in and that many other young people are lived in, you know, what we're experiencing in the moment is that disconnection sometimes from adult. What we're experiencing in that moment is not belonging to that family. And so even though the social worker is looking at, you know, you're in a safe place, this is a good family, they're not abusing you. There's so much more that goes into the quality of life and living, um, not just being able to get up and go day to day, but actually being able to wake up and live every day um, and, and enjoy living that you have to just think about the young person's urgency. So I think of moments like, um, you know, one of the connections I wanted to have was with my older brother. And my older brother um, lived in Puerto Rico. I lived in Connecticut. And so logistically, that was really tough for the social worker. And so at that time, there, there were certain social workers who would avoid trying to go there and have that conversation because it was just a lot of work. Unfortunately, my brother, you know, passed away due to gun violence after. And so because issue with my with some of the social workers I had I didn't get the opportunity to really engage with my older brother the way I would have wanted to and so sometimes we think to ourselves that we have a lifetime that this young person needs to think about therapy this young person needs to think about their grades like there's all these other things but you just don't know you know when you'll have the next opportunity and sometimes I do believe that you know because there's so much fire to put out on the system that the system will take it for granted that we don't need to do that part right now but we don't know when the next time that opportunity may happen so what do you do to make sure the two things one to take advantage of today the opportunity as you mentioned but also helping prepare that young person see beyond tomorrow because there's so much thought of just getting through the next day both on the social worker side and on the young person side where does anyone think about what that young person's going to be like at 25 at 35 when they're a parent and preparing them and kind of almost giving them that vision that you know there's going to be life beyond high school or life beyond this week and and kind of letting everybody focus on the long-term health absolutely i think the one thing that social workers can do is uh, is really figure out what is it going to take for this young person to step out of survival mode and I think, you know, for me, I had turned 18. I had decided I was going to take a Greyhound bus down to Virginia from Connecticut and actually um, um, uh, go see my brother, right? And this was the first time I had, you know, I'm 18. I get there. I'm with family. I, I turned around. I went to the club. And it was such a, um out-of-body experience to sit at the balcony of that club and just watch people having fun because so much of life has been to be in that storm. And I just couldn't understand how these people were just so happy. <laughs> and so, you know, it was just one of those moments where I realized to myself that I had to stop surviving and really start living. Um, and that living is a very intentional thing, but surviving is naturally how we're going to respond to the adversity and to the, the things that we're experiencing every single day. Let them live. Let them actually Absolutely. experience life versus, you know, struggle through it. Absolutely. And 
when I when I think of when I think of a young person who's in foster care, we should be the number one young people in the entire country who are thriving. We have a team of folks who are designed to be to, who are designed to be around us to build our success metrics, right? So that we're successful. We have a system that's supposed to be pumping in resources into us, not only on the academic side, but on the social side and the emotional side, so that we can be adults who thrive. Um, there's a lot of flaws in the system. So I don't understand when we do spend, you know, hundreds of thousands on dollars on one young person. An example is my younger brother who, you know, grew up in group home care. The facility that he grew up in will charge $864 a day. And that's yet he aged out. And, you know, unfortunately, he's incarcerated today because he ended up being homeless because he didn't engage in education, which meant that he could not stay in the system. So there's these things that happen to to all of us that I think, you know, I don't understand how is it that we have a system. Well, I do understand, but it, it's astonishing that we allow it still to be acceptable that a system um, would put so much resources, so much manpower, so much, so much effort into a young person, not to allow that, not to really give that young person everything that young person needs to thrive. Sixto, you are the uh, co-founder of Think of Us. So tell me what Think of Us is. So Think of Us seeks to leverage data, technology, and multimedia to really improve policy practice and young people, youth and family outcomes, right? So some of the things we're doing is tools that help build capacity within young people, um, within young people and systems, um, really understanding data on a different, uh, on a different level um, of turning around and understanding, hey, um, how do you, how do we really have data driven um, decisions around what young people should be getting involved in? What are some of the developmental opportunities that they may have missed and they may want to engage with? So figuring out things from simple things like how do I navigate the foster care system through our tools to um, how do I navigate some of, some of the my love life rules, right? Um, so those are some of the things that we're building. So if there's a if there's a social worker out there or, or a young person who, who wants to get in touch with you, uh, how do they go about doing that? They can visit our website at www.thinkof-us.org, or they can email us at info at thinkof-us.org. Okay, six to cancel. I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for the insight, and thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So there you have it, a really inspiring fellow with a great deal of insight. If you're interested in more about engaging youth in foster care, check out the youth section of Child Welfare Information Gateway for more about engaging and involving youth, resources specifically for youth, and including links and other resources about transitioning into adulthood and independent living. All of that is available for free on Information Gateway. Just go to childwelfare.gov and search youth. You can also find other resources and information we've got there for those working or supporting foster care, and that includes for parents, communities, and for youth themselves in care as well. Just head to childwelfare.gov. The search bar is on the upper right of every page. So we do this, we put these podcasts together for you, so we hope you find this valuable. You can reach us at info at childwelfare.gov with any questions, or if you've got some ideas that you want to hear about, please let us know, info at childwelfare.gov. So thanks so much for joining us, the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway 
is available at childwelfare.gov and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Administration for Children and Families. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information Gateway or the Children's Bureau.